Welcome to the podcast that teaches you how to transform your life and your business. Here is your host, Rick Hyland, and this is CI for Life. Today's topic is defining your purpose, uh, the why and how. In today's podcast, you're going to learn some of the benefits, as I articulated in Chapter 3 of Live Your Purpose. The top 10 benefits of living your purpose, according to scientific research, are number one, enhanced health and physical well-being. Number two, greater resilience. Number three, increased happiness. Number four, increased life satisfaction. Number five, better psychological well-being. Number six, more likely to engage in healthy habits. Number seven, less chronic illness such as stroke or heart problems. Number eight, lower incidence of dementia. Number nine, higher quality of life. And number 10, longer life. And again, you can go to chapter three, live your purpose if you want to see the sightings and references on those top 10 benefits. It goes without saying that the opposite is also true for those who don't live a purpose-based life. They have more health problems, more psychological problems, don't live as long, and are not as happy. I came across an interesting research paper called The Origins of Purpose of Life, Refining Our Understanding of a Life Well-Lived, by Todd B. Cashton and Patrick E. McKnight. And they characterize purpose as a central self-organizing life aim. Central is in that when we present Purpose is a predominant theme of a person's identity. Self-organizing in that it provides a framework for systematic behavior patterns in everyday life. I love that. It provides a framework for systematic behavior patterns in everyday life. As a life aim, a purpose generates continual goals and targets or direction for efforts to be devoted As a life aim, a purpose generates continual goals and targets for efforts to be devoted. A purpose, and coming back to the quote, a purpose provides a bedrock foundation that allows a person to be more resilient to obstacle stress and strain. Oh my goodness, that last sentence as well. A purpose provides a bedrock foundation. Who doesn't want a clear and sturdy foundation that allows a person to be more resilient to obstacle stress and strain. So it's not just the purpose isn't just the framework or direction to provide uh, goals and targets, but it also provides the foundation that allows a person to be more resilient. And in the back end in section five of Live Your Purpose, we talk about some of the tools and how purpose and the values you identify in purpose helps you to respond Uh, with your best self in the face of obstacles, stress, and strain. Oh my goodness, that is just a great quote. And those are the benefits. That's the why it's important to define purpose. And as we've been talking about, the how is the more difficult part. And that's what we've tried to do in the 777 process in Chapter 4. And I hope uh, I still have some coaching, uh, free coaching slots available. I hope you'll take advantage of that. I'll give some more direction of that at the end of the podcast But to help with the how, I've asked Kent Walker, PhD, to join us. He's just gone through in the last few weeks. He's read the book and he's done the 777 process. And he was a doubter at one point. And he's articulated now what he sees as the value. What were his concerns? Because I think other people might have them. And then also um, we'll go through some of the, the 777 process and how it worked and what didn't work and what did work and how it helped him come up with the purpose. So... 
uh, we'll invite Kent Walker to help us talk about the how. Kent, welcome. How are you today? Yeah, I'm great, Rick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. It's a privilege. Kent and I have spent, uh, got to know each other over the last few weeks. Uh, Kent, uh, before we jump into talking about 777 and some of the questions and your insights on it, Kent, I just want to introduce you and then have you uh, fill in some of your background for me. Kent is a PhD and director of the MBA program for the Odette School of Business in the University of Windsor in Canada. He and I recently became acquainted, acquainted as he's done the 777 process. And he's also an inspiring author, and I hope he tells us about that. Um, Kent, tell us more about your background before we jump in. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Uh, I'll start with my academic background, uh, and I'll do that very briefly. Uh, so my undergraduate degree was in psychology, and my master's and PhD were in business, and that's from the University of Manitoba. I've been working as a professor at the University of Windsor now for 10 years, and more recently as the MBA director. Awesome. So that's the academic side. Yep. Um, but beyond that, um, a few other things. Two years ago, my wife, uh, my twin boys, and I, we moved to Windsor from Winnipeg. That was part of when I got the job here, and she and her twin sister uh, opened a Moto Yoga studio. Moto Yoga is a franchise started in Toronto. Okay. Um, yeah, there's about 100 of them uh, across, across the world. So we've now had that business for eight years, and two years ago we opened a second location in Tecumseh, Ontario, which is right beside Windsor. I completed my own yoga teacher training that was in Nicaragua for a month. You could imagine that was a lot of fun. It was on, on the beach. beach. Yeah. <laughs> okay. In the ocean every single day. We did yoga under a palapa, oh. and that was five years ago. So I've been teaching yoga ever since that. Uh, yoga is a great passion of mine on both the physical and the mindful side, um, and that's actually what the book is on is the mindfulness component of it, meditation. Okay. Okay. Yeah, other um, trainings I've taken related to yoga, I did a 10-day Vipassana. That's where you don't talk to anyone, look at anyone, you don't eat dinner. Uh, I didn't know that until I showed up. I lost like 15 pounds, grew a big beard. I couldn't fit my suits after. Uh, and you do that for 10 days, and you meditate for about 10 hours per day. Uh, I did at UMass, University of Massachusetts, a mindfulness-based stress reduction course that was interesting. Um, and then uh, you may have heard of the autobiography of a, of a yogi. That's a, quite a famous book, uh, but that was by Paramahansa Yogananda. So I did his self-realization fellowship. That took a year. I did a flow training in Brooklyn, and then, you know, I do a lot of yoga and I do a lot of meditating. Um, and then the other component of my life, I guess, where I'm at capacity as like a teacher is I coach hockey. I've been coaching my kids now for four years. I really enjoy that time with them. You know, we work hard, but we share lots of laughs on the ice and the bench. I've been coaching some kids just as long as my own children, and so I feel pretty lucky for that opportunity to help them grow no matter how small that is. Wow. So I just want to unpack a couple things in there. Uh, you got me yeah. fascinated about the yoga and mindfulness training there. Um, so, tell you know, I'm, I'm a novice to yoga. I did some this morning with uh, yoga with Adrian on YouTube this morning. That's quite popular out of, uh, she's out of Austin, Texas, I think. But... So tell me, what was the mindfulness training? The 10 days, you couldn't talk to anyone, you couldn't eat dinner. Did you just about go crazy the first day and by the last day? And tell me about that experience. Yeah, it was, um, that I, I learned a lot from it. It was obviously, you can imagine, quite intense. Um, the, the first days were probably the most challenging okay. uh, in some ways because all you do is focus on the air coming in and out of the nostrils. That's it for, uh, yeah. for 10 hours a day. Uh, and then I think it was the, it's either the third or the fourth day, 
Uh, I didn't I didn't know this so they surprised you and they had a sign up in the meditation hall and they say today we're doing something different is called Aditana and that's practice of strong determination it's where you sit and you don't move uh, and fortunately I got a cold <clears throat> so I had a cold and you know you're sitting there the meditation breathing yeah <laughs> yeah hard to breathe and the meditation themselves you know you maybe an hour and then you get little breaks but my nose is running, like it's oh, literally brother. disgusting. It's running and you're not supposed to move. You can, there's no real punishment, but you know, you're there, so you might as well do what they say. Yeah. So that was um, that was a challenge. Wow, yeah, that sounds fascinating. I'm reading a book now, and it is a high recommend, uh, Think Like a Monk, uh, by oh, I think you. the guy's name is Jay Sheety or something like that, but it's really quite good. Have you seen that one or heard that one? I have seen it. Yeah, I've listened to some of his stuff on YouTube and some podcasts with him. Yeah, he's a really interesting guy. Didn't he spend like 10 years? Yeah, as a, as a, yeah. several yeah. years before he jumped back into real life. And now he's a, you know, a teacher and a coach and, a, and uh, as you mentioned, very popular podcast. So yeah, oh, fascinating, Kent. And so tell me, your book is going to be about, and I know you're almost done and maybe published in the new year, but the mindful side of yoga. Can you say more about that? Yeah, so it's, you know, the, in some ways I kind of live like different lives here with the different roles that I play. Yeah. And the, one of the advantages, it lets me compare and contrast them. So I really like being a professor. I really enjoy teaching um, students in, in the business faculty. You know, they're very sharp students. Um, I think a lot of them can really use the mindfulness, and we see that more and more, as you know, in organizations. Yeah. But if I compare when I teach yoga, one of the most powerful things with yoga is if there's a lesson I want students to understand. Um, <clears throat> so let's say something like impermanence. I can have them first feel that in the body, feel how the body's constantly changing and nothing is, stays the same. Um, and I find that is a huge advantage to um, the depth of understanding that a student can have. So to feel something within your body, to understand it experientially, goes much deeper than what I might be able to convey in a university class where I'm speaking more theoretically and intellectually. Yeah, yeah. So then the book really takes, yeah, sorry. The book, what it does is it uses the power of the body to understand things, like I said, like impermanence or maybe how uh, impermanence or false dichotomies to really understand these. Um, I'll tell you one thing too, Rick, and then I'll stop talking here for a little bit. No problem. But <laughs> in the just because we talked about Vipassana, the guy he's passed away now, but the guy who would lead it was Goenka, and he mentioned that there's different levels of understanding, and he used this great analogy. He said that when you go into a restaurant and you look at the menu, that's one understanding of the food that you're going to get. Then you order your food and you look around, you see other people eating and you judge by their face. Is it good? Is it bad? That's another level of understanding. And the third level of understanding, the, the deepest one, is when you eat the food yourself. Right. So I find in something like a meditation practice or a yoga practice, you are feeling it yourself. And that leads to uh, a much greater depth of understanding. So the book uses that technique to um, help people reduce their own suffering and increase their happiness. Yeah, well said. Yeah, and I love the idea um, of of experiential is the way we learn best. Uh, so, well, excited for that, and congratulations. So, sorry to sidetrack you. I, I do want to get on, as I promised the listeners today, we'll talk about purpose and your experience through 777. So, 
Ken, let me just ask you a few questions to kind of pull out the learnings and your insights and, and uh, what went well and what could go better. So do you mind, I know this is very personal, but do you mind sharing your purpose statement with us and kind of tell, tell us what, why it inspires you and what it means to you? Yeah, no, I'm happy to share uh, the purpose statement. I got, I got a lot of value of it, so hopefully this helps other people get value as well. So my purpose statement was to reduce suffering and increase happiness for myself and others through increased presence and relentless, honest self-awareness. Uh, uncover the ego and uproot it. So that was it. Okay. Um, what does it mean to you? How does it inspire you? So it, in the, the way that it inspires me is it helps me make decisions on how I want to spend my time. Um, so I'm aware, as many people, that we're rushing towards death. And as you, know, you ponder your own impending death, I've struggled to know how best to spend this limited time um, that I have. And so the great value from your book and the purpose statement is that it uh, gives me direction. Um, and I also wrote it so that I have some flexibility uh, to make informed decisions, uh, and this is every single day. Geez, that is so powerful. I've been talking about that recently with folks. So tell me more about that last line you said. So it gives you, uh, provides direction, but also the flexibility side. Tell me more about that. Yeah, maybe the way I can tell you is uh, I came across something that, that I thought was really interesting. And maybe you've heard of this, Rick. It was a not-to-do list. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you you make this list and, and you write things like, okay, well, what's not a high priority? What can I delegate? Um, you know, wh or what just doesn't have to get done today? And I really like that concept because it forces you to think of where you're where you're spending your time. And so in the same way, I'm using this purpose statement to say, okay, well, what is really helping me? Um, in for myself, but also for others to reduce the suffering and increase happiness. Um, what am I doing that allows me to stay present? Uh, because research shows that uh, it's less important what you're doing and much more important how present you are. Mm, well said. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that is really good. I, I love that. And as you say, it's just as important to know what to say no to as it is to say what to say yes to. And that's... Yeah, I like that yeah yeah that goes along with your not to do list so okay awesome so tell us a little bit about the process itself how long did it take you how many days hours etc can you give us some insights there yeah I was pretty close to you know what it says in the book it took me about four hours and it took seven days although I did just last week make a minor change okay um, I, I know you said those are okay but you don't recommend doing them too often so uh, I think that's probably gonna be it but I had written five draft purpose statements before selecting one and, and then making a few minor changes. Um, and I felt confident that it was the right one uh, right away when I wrote it, but I did give it some time before I said, yeah, that's definitely the one. Yeah, that was my experience as well, to come back a few weeks later after you've gone through the intense process and see what insights come up. So yeah, thank you. Uh, all right, so there were seven questions in there. Kent, particularly the first two days were pretty intense on kind of forward-looking, backward-looking questions. What question really worked for you? Just give the listeners some insights there. Yeah, I mean, this was easy for me to, to pick one question. Um, and, of course, it's easy to pick the question because it was the hardest one to answer uh, and really think about it. But the best question for me was what were the peak performance events in your life? Um, and this you know, it's it's related to what we were saying earlier with the purpose statement. It forced me to determine where I had been optimizing performance. 
Uh, it was here that I realized that most of my peak performance events occurred. Um, you know, I, I guess I could call it spiritual work. I'm, I'm not even sure that's the right label for it, but um, more in, in like yoga, meditation and teaching, I would say. Okay, so this is the mindfulness and being present and those experiences, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, and, and even like um, I would be more present certainly in, in those type of activities than I would in maybe um, a meeting, <laughs> depending on the meeting. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. No, no, you're right. That is one of the harder questions, so it's interesting um, uh, that that was uh, the best one for you. So uh, let's go um, the other way uh, and talk about what was the hardest question for you and why. Um, okay, so you mean like which? So that that peak one was the hardest one. Okay. For to answer, um, and and I, I mean I can I can answer that second part of the question to say why. Um, so I think like the, the value, you know, came as when I went through the seven step process, I, this is where, as we mentioned earlier, the, the insights, um, these peak performance experiences were more teaching, yoga, meditating. Uh, and, and I should say that, you know, qualify that a little bit, that I also have insights in my work or even industry now that I'm the MBA director, um, but there's variety there too, um, you know, where... I, it's really forced me kind of to uh, focus uh, on which aspects of my life give me the greatest value. You know, sometimes people use that word, what serves me. I, I'm not actually a big fan of that because there's an assumption there that we actually know what serves us. Um, and often, like, the, we wouldn't choose a hard thing, but it, but it does serve you okay. uh, in the long run, if, if you're with me there. Yeah. Uh, but, but the question on what were the peak performance events in my life forced me to categorize the various roles I have. So, you know, uh, and I have a fair amount, like, you know, teacher, researcher, MBA director, coach, yoga instructor, practitioner, meditation guide, um, author, husband, father, you know, and so on. And so then I had to critically analyze all of these to see which were giving me the most inspiration. And I'd never done that before. In, in hindsight, it seems a little bit foolish not to have that. Um, but like most people, I, I do do many different things in my life and in a given day. And the great value from the peak performance question was that it allowed me to create a hierarchy of which we're providing the most inspiration and insight. And then, as you can tell from the purpose statement, the, the conclusion I was able to reach was quite clear. Um, you know, and this is reducing suffering, increasing happiness for myself and others through presence and, and this relentless honesty um, it's called Svedyaya in yoga, and it's it's this um, we're constantly being aware of, of, of yourself, and, and of course honesty is so important there because we're, it's so easy to deceive ourselves. Yeah, or rationalize. Yeah, well said. Yeah, that was a great explanation. I love your talking about your different roles and prioritizing and getting clear, and we talk about that in the book too under you know Clayton Christensen's work on how to measure your life and him talking about all these MBA students that got out, went successful as far as career and money and came back and realized, you know, they forgot what was most important and in some cases had lost family and spouse, et cetera, et cetera. So this whole process can help you prioritize those roles. That's, that's where you're going with that, Kent? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, this process, what it can do for you is like those examples you gave, 
you don't come to the realization after you, you know yeah. you've gone through a divorce or broken up with a partner or your kids you know you miss them their their prime years that you make those decisions earlier maybe and daily so that you know you're not looking back on your deathbed and saying oh i wish i had done this speaking of that i know you have some insights on which question didn't work for you as well so why don't you tell us give us feedback there yeah, the question that didn't work for me um, so much was, what do you want speakers to say at your funeral? Uh, how do I want to be remembered? And so I thought a little bit about, about why that was, because I do still think it's a great question. I'm sure many people find great value in it. But um, I spent a lot of time nurturing my relationships. Uh, that's, that's a big thing for me. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not too concerned, I, I guess, um, you know, on what they might say at my death. Uh, further, I've come to the conclusion, you know, and a lot of people have come to this conclusion that you really don't have much power over what others say or think. It's all filtered through their own lives and their minds. And so it's best to live your life as you want. My, my wife has been a tremendous teacher uh, for me on this front. Um, and then the other thing is, is I uh, contem often contemplate my own death. Uh, I, I'd say I do it daily. Um, and part of that is I have a post-it note on my bathroom mirror. It says, remember, you will die. That's the Latin memento more. Um, so that might also be why that question wasn't as helpful for me. Well, you, you got a couple of things in there that I uh, align very nicely with. One is the idea that we can't control what people think or say. So that part of the question does lead you to uh, something that's not going to be powerful in your life. Uh, and that last part, have you, I just recently read some, uh, you know, Marcus Aurelius and some of the yeah. other Stoics, and that was their daily habit. They would in order to find, uh, reduce suffering and find happiness, they would contemplate their own finality and their own death in a way that helps them then whatever happens is joy and, and uh, amazing in their life and that they were always contemplating their own death and preparing. Have you read any of that? Does that tie into where, what you're thinking and, you, and that saying on the fridge? Um, yeah, it, it does. Um, so the is it meditations that you read from Marcus Aurelius or you're reading? You know, it was just, uh, I was reading it under um, uh, their morning habits. And every morning, yeah. that's what they would contemplate is their own death as a way to, um, um, I guess, clarify expectations or improve, uh, um, you know, what does happen during the day is a gift, is a joy. is, is uh, And that's that's the context I was reading it under. Yeah, and he's a fascinating guy. Just a tragic life. Lost his wife. Lost many of his children. Um, but yeah, even in, in the in my book, I quote a number of Stoics as well. Okay. So without question, it's valuable. But the the post-it note comes from uh, well, the, the memento mori is Latin, but the, it's actually a Buddhist approach. Um, and there's even like a meditation technique where you can envision, you know, yourself getting older, and then you envision. Uh, rotting uh, and, the, and the body decomposing eventually turning to dust and then eventually being nothing and uh, this can be very challenging for a lot of people but if you you can this can be very informative because you also observe your thoughts as you yeah. go through that process uh, and it can help you to see you know are you still clinging to things are you still averting from from death and from aging mm, well said and not fearing it and uh, preparing your mind yeah, uh, you articulated better than I could, but I thought it was fascinating reading. So, Kent, really appreciate your time today. So why don't you give us a summary of 
kind of your insights and learnings about the 777 process in general. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Um, I, I really like this process, and, and part of the reason is because I started out as, as more of a skeptic. Um, you know, and, and Rick, you and I have talked about this a little bit yeah. too, is um, in, in general, I'm not a fan of, of purpose um, because I feel that it can be quite egotistical to think that we have a purpose uh, when you think of like the vastness of the cosmos that we don't really understand. Now, I was aware of the empirical research to support its value, um, but let me go a little bit deeper there just on, on this idea of how we have a purpose and we're so small. So one of the things I'd, I'd like to say is, you know, that uh, there's an estimated 100 billion stars in our galaxy and 100 billion galaxies, and that's only one universe. Um, now, many scientists believe there's the, there's the multiverse. So I don't even know it's possible to wrap our head around the size uh, of the cosmos, just our universe, let alone many ones. Yeah. So if we think of that, do, do we really have a purpose? Um, you know, some some ways I feel like we're just a bunch of uh, ants underneath a rock, uh, hanging out in a corner of the Milky Way. And you know, no matter who you are, or what you achieve in life, at some point everyone is forgotten. I mean, even Jesus and Buddha will be forgotten eventually. Um, or the other part of that is that why should I believe that I have a purpose, whereas it's so easy for me. To dismiss the idea of a purpose for another being, like a squirrel or an ant. You could quite easily say, well, they don't they don't matter. Um, and it, that creates, I guess, a separation. And, and in the end, we're all just a bunch of um, fish in a, in a massive multiverse pond. But in the end, your book helped me to realize that I can both uh, believe in a purpose to help guide me in my daily decisions, but also have days with no purpose. Uh, I talked to a friend of mine about this. He's a Tai Chi master. I trained with him for, for a couple of years when he first moved to Windsor. He calls it purpose, no purpose. Hmm. Uh, yeah. And so the way I've reconciled it is that the purpose statement was very valuable for me because it helped inform my decisions um, on the daily. But then I can also find purpose in whatever I'm doing in that moment. So if I'm playing with my kids, that, that can be my purpose. Drinking a cup of coffee, that's it. That's all the purpose or, or doing something at work. So, and I talk a little bit about this in, the, in, the, in my book that's forthcoming, but it, in your seven-step process, I came to realize that I had been carrying a false dichotomy between purpose and normal purpose, and it's so easy to fall into those, even though I know we shouldn't see things like that. Um, and, can not, and not only can I hold, can you or I hold both purpose and no purpose yeah. uh, in one day, maybe in an hour, maybe in one minute. Um, so I've come to realize that our external reality is so complex, and this is, you know, we see this more and more through quantum physics and what they're finding, and this idea of a goal of or theory of everything just might not be possible. But there seems to be a tendency for us to create simplistic dualisms to understand reality, and that, you know, helps save us time. It helps us just get a grasp of things around us, but I, I think in the end it's wrong. And so part of my yoga meditation practice is to accept, appreciate, and even be in awe of, of this remarkable complexity. And in your seven-step process helped me um, to see value and purpose again. Oh, Kent, that is well said. I love that. Uh, simplistic dualisms, you know, the, the purpose, no purpose, or I've heard a saying that man is nothing and man is everything. So that's kind of the dualisms we're uh, trying to accept and appreciate in the middle of this vast galaxy. So deep stuff, good stuff. Really appreciate you going through the process and offering your 
deep insights into this, Kent. So, uh, thank you so much and uh, appreciate you joining me today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Rick. Yeah, thank you. So this has been another Continuous Improvement for Life podcast. Please go out and start your purpose statement. I still have some spots for a free purpose statement development coaching call. I'd ask you to download the book, start the 777 process in Chapter 4, and then uh, sign up for that free coaching call when you have some draft ideas from Day 5. You can download the book on Amazon or my website, ciforlife.org. Thank you so much for spending some of your valuable time with me today. Until next time, live a life of sustainable, continuous improvement. Goodbye.